48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. A coroner demands government action against poor quality care homes after hearing of the abuse of a disabled resident. A magistrate acquits a district councillor of assault, saying police told lie after lie in court. And pro-establishment lawmakers call for a quick return to LegCo to vet further items related to the pandemic. A coroner has urged the government to compile a blacklist of substandard elderly care homes and prosecute any that violate regulations instead of just warning them. This call was made at the end of an inquest into the death of a care home resident who appeared to have been abused by staff. Maggie Ho has more. The court was holding an inquest into the death of Wang Qixing, a 60-year-old mentally disabled man who had been a resident of the Ngautau Kok Cambridge nursing home. The court found that Mr Wang died of natural causes after developing pneumonia. But before he died on February the 2nd, 2016, he had been sent to hospital where staff found that gauze and tape had been stuffed inside his rectum. Mr Wong's family had previously complained about maltreatment after they found someone had put more than one nappy on him at once. Evidence presented in a hearing revealed other problems too. It was found that Mr Wong's temperature and other vital signs were not measured for at least five weeks leading up to his death. The court was told about the shortage of manpower at the home, inaccurate staff roster records and of workers forging signatures of family members on documents. Coroner Monica Chow said the existing laws are not providing enough protection for elderly people in similar circumstances as Mr Wong. She made 10 recommendations on how the Social Welfare Department could improve its oversight, among them a blacklist of elderly homes that violate regulations. She said officials should refer to such a list when considering whether to renew an institution's license. A district councillor and her assistant have been acquitted of assaulting a police officer during an anti-government protest last year. The magistrate said two officers had told lie after lie while giving evidence in court. Timmy Sung reports. Eastern District Councillor Jocelyn Chow and her assistant, Nao Chakin, were accused of shoving an officer in the chest while live-streaming a video in North Point amid high tensions in the district last August. The officer and a colleague who was there on the day gave testimony at Eastern Court. But Magistrate Stanley Ho said he could not accept their witness statements because they were unreasonable, illogical and self-contradictory. He said the testimony did not match what was shown on video clips submitted to the court and said the officers had tried to cover up one lie with another. Not only was there no evidence at all to suggest that Ms Chow and Mr Lau had assaulted the police, the magistrate said he suspected that, in fact, it was the two officers who had used inappropriate force on the defendants. Pro-government lawmakers have called for LegCo to get back to business as soon as possible to vet items related to the pandemic, relief and economic revival. The DAB, New People's Party, Federation of Trade Unions and the Business and Professionals Alliance all met the Chief Executive, Carrie Lam, today. They asked for a third round of coronavirus relief measures to strengthen support for suffering sectors like retail and catering and to help those who were left out of previous schemes. The DAB's Vincent Cheng wants more financial help for those who lose their jobs. We have suggestions as 4500 for no more than six months. $4,500. But there's only one of the suggestions. We do think that 
to tackle the unemployment issues. There are lots of things the government should do, and we can forecast the unemployment rates keep going high. So we hope that the government can respond this quickly. The pro-establishment parties are also calling for a health code system to be introduced as soon as possible, saying people should have to prove that they are negative for coronavirus before being allowed into malls, restaurants and other public places. Here's Geoffrey Lamb from the Business and Professionals Alliance. In the past few weeks, we have learned that there are some cases that the government don't even know where it comes from. So using the code as a tool to identify will only give better protection to Hong Kong people. Those without a code will not be allowed to enter. They can always go and get a code, you know. We also requested the government to subsidize three times the testings. That would alleviate their burden on the cost. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Hong Kong has recorded another 62 new COVID-19 infections today, all but one of them locally acquired. Meanwhile, another four coronavirus patients have died, taking the total 63. Preliminary tests on two nurses from Eastern Hospital and United Christian Hospital have come back positive for the virus, but officials say neither of them took care of COVID-19 patients. Dr Linda Yu is a chief manager with the authority. There is an ongoing transmission in the community, so uh, it can be a chance that they uh, contracted the disease in the community. But of course, uh, we will uh, investigate and are uh, doing the contact, contact tracing, etc., to to look for the source of of the possible uh, the of their infection. And uh, if the staff is uh, living in a building with confirmed case, we usually offer ad- additional tests for them. Uh, to to see if they have a, a risk of uh, co- um, contracted the infection. There are calls to allow foreign domestic workers to move in with their new employers before their work visas are issued, after recent cases of helpers becoming infected with COVID-19 while staying at boarding houses. Wendy Wong reports. The chairman of the Hong Kong Employment Agencies Association, Chen Kim Man, says the processing of work visas for foreign domestic helpers has slowed down since the pandemic began, and some helpers in between jobs have to wait up to two months before they get their visas. He says previously helpers would go back to their home countries before starting a new contract. But now many of them are stuck in Hong Kong and have to stay at boarding houses during the wait. Mr Chung estimates that at least 4,000 domestic helpers are staying in some 200 to 300 boarding houses across the city. He urged the government to relax the rules and allow domestic helpers to move in with new employers while they wait for visas, saying this would help reduce the number of helpers staying in boarding houses and stem the spread of COVID-19. But the chairwoman of Hong Kong Employers of Domestic Helpers Association, Betty Yong, says it's inappropriate for helpers to stay with employers before they are granted work visas. Who can guarantee that the domestic helper staying in the new employer's house is not working? If she is working, actually, she is an illegal worker already. And secondly, if the FDH uh, stay in the employer's house before the visa was granted, she has a right to go where she like. So she's free. She can go out at any time and left the employer's house. We are afraid sometimes that this may cause a lot of arguments between the employer and the employee, especially during this virus stage. Instead, she says the government should identify suitable accommodation for helpers during the wait to reduce the crowding at boarding houses. 
Researchers at the Chinese University are warning that burning incense indoors can impair cognitive functions in elderly people. They say they gave brain scans and cognitive tests to hundreds of people during a three-year study, and those who were regularly exposed to incense smoke performed worse than those who weren't. Dr Adrian Wong, research assistant professor in the Department of Medicine and Therapeutics, told Jimmy Choi that pollutants emitted from incense smoke could be harmful to people's brains. So what we found was that those who have used incense at home, and these people had poorer performance, poorer scores uh, in multiple cognitive functions, including their global quantity functions, their, uh, their thinking abilities, their visual spatial functions, as well as their memory. Uh, the, the difference in quantity functions between those who burned and who, those who didn't burn incense was uh, persisted over three years. So this is the first major finding. And the second major finding is that we found that those participants, actually, they, they burned incense, have uh, fewer uh, connections between the different parts of the brain as measured by the brain MRI. Okay, the third finding is that for those elderly patients with vascular risk factors or vascular disease in the brain, say for example, if they have diabetes, if they have uh, high cholesterol, and if they have uh, something called a cerebral small vessel disease, if they also burnt incense, they would have uh, poorer cognitive function compared those who have uh, uh, these disease but uh, did not burn incense. And um, how significant is the difference between these two groups of elderly people? Actually, the difference is not very big, but uh, statistically, there is a difference. So that means uh, the difference uh, would not be explained by chance. How does weakened cognitive ability affect people's normal functioning in the daily lives? The types of the cognitive functions that we found were more uh, affected in, the, in those who burn incense were uh, the global cognitive functions, the uh, memory, the uh, thinking ability, and visual spatial functions. So we, actually, we use a lot of these functions in our daily life. For example, when we work, when we go to grocery markets, we, we've got to you know, think about uh, what we want to buy, and we've got to plan like what to get first and how to pay. So this is the thinking ability, and uh, more formally, what we call that is uh, the executive function. And um, the memory, of course, we have to remember, say, for example, remember to turn off our stoves after cooking. We have to remember, like, what we have to do, like, for different activities in our daily life. So these are really the functions that we need to sustain our functions on, on a daily basis. So, say, for example, people having dementia uh, have very impaired uh, performance on these functions, and actually they will not be able to carry out these functions uh, to take care of themselves. But in our study, actually, uh, people did not have a very, very impaired uh, uh, performance in, in, in this function. It is just they, their performance is actually lower comparatively than those who, who didn't burn incense. Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen has called on mainland authorities to resolve disputes in Hong Kong through sincere dialogue. Responding to the arrest of pro-democracy media tycoon Jimmy Lai and several others under the national security law this week, Ms Chai said if the SAR's situation worsens, its status as an international financial centre will be destroyed. She also said her administration would honour its promise to firmly support the people of Hong Kong in their fight for democracy and freedom. 
Hong Kong Express says it has launched an investigation into a collision involving two of its aircraft at Cheklapkok Airport this morning. No one was injured, but both planes were damaged. The airport authority says an aircraft that was being towed hit a plane parked on the tarmac. Cathay Pacific Airways has warned it doesn't expect to see a meaningful recovery in passenger demand for some time due to the coronavirus pandemic, as, its reports, as it reports a record $9.87 billion first half loss. The figure is in line with the forecast it flagged last month. Revenue nearly halved to $27.7 billion in the first six months of this year after the airline slashed passenger services. Cathay says it expects passenger capacity to be around 7% of normal levels this month and next, down from an earlier forecast of up to 10%. Chairman Patrick Healy says he expects it will take longer for travel demand to return to normal levels than previously thought. Looking forward, the operating environment will remain very challenging. Demand recovery in recent months has been extremely slow. And recently, IATA pushed back its forecast for a return to pre-COVID international passenger demand to 2024, and that's a year later than their previous estimate. Not only that, but with a global recession looming and geopolitical tensions intensifying, trade will likely come under significant pressure, and this is expected to have a negative impact on both air travel and cargo demand. The airline has received a government-led bailout package of $39 billion, but Mr Healy says this isn't enough. He says the management team is reviewing all aspects of its business and will provide a restructuring plan to the board later this year. The combination of the recapitalisation and also the cost-saving measures that we've put in place um, won't be enough. Uh, you know, you can see from our uh, current cash burn that we're still uh, losing. Um, up to around $1.5 billion uh, per month. And, you know, clearly that's not sustainable. And so, uh, you know, a restructuring of the group will be necessary. The management team is uh, evaluating all aspects of our, of our business model and will come to the board um, in the fourth quarter uh, with that review and with their recommendation as to uh, the shape and size uh, of the Cathay Pacific Group to essentially adjust to this new reality that we find ourselves in. Um, you know, what form that takes um, at the moment is, uh, is, is under review. Um, you know, no decisions have been made, but equally, um, you know, nothing has been taken off the table. A reminder of our top stories tonight. A coroner demands government action against poor quality care homes after hearing of the abuse of a disabled resident. A magistrate acquits a district councillor of assault, saying police told lie after lie in court. And pro-establishment lawmakers call for a quick return to LegCo to vet further items related to the pandemic. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Executive Councillor Ronnie Tong says that the fact that Beijing is allowing four pro-democracy lawmakers to continue serving, despite being banned from the now-scrapped September election, shows that they're not being persecuted. 
Mr Tong told Janice Wong that the central government had demonstrated its respect for Hong Kong by leaving the SAR to work out the finer details of an interim LegCo term of at least 12 months. I think the decision is one that clearly uh, shows that the central government has a very high regard and respect uh, from uh, in relation to uh, Hong Kong matters. What they have decided essentially is simply uh, to approve the postponement of the election, uh, leave all the finer details to Hong Kong uh, to be dealt with in accordance with our laws uh, and uh, the uh, legislative convention. Um, I think the fact that the four so-called disqualified uh, legislators uh, are allowed to continue to serve in the coming year demonstrates that, that there is uh, no persecution against anybody. Uh, and according to Hong Kong law, since they uh, are the uh, you know, current uh, legislators uh, as such, they are entitled to carry on for another year. Uh, so I think it is uh, a, a minimum modest approach which uh, uh, indicates that uh, the, the central government would not intervene any more than you know, uh, they necessarily have to do. Like you said, the NPC Standing Committee didn't oust the four incumbent lawmakers who have been disqualified from running in the next political election. But do you think it's likely that the government here may require them to fulfill certain conditions before they can serve in the extended legislature term? For example, they may be asked to retake their oaths? No, I don't think so. Uh, the government has already indicated its view that uh, you know, these four legislators should just carry on in a normal way. In any event, there is no law uh, in Hong Kong which uh, either requires the uh, legislators to uh, retake the oath uh, or to uh, uh, draw a parallel between uh, their position as a legislator uh, with their position as a candidate for a future, uh, a future election. Let's not forget that under the basic law, Article 69 provides certain situations whereby legislators can be uh, removed from their seats. Uh, those situations uh, do not apply here, uh, and therefore there are no legal procedures by which uh, legislators can either be removed during the term or would be requested to take another oath. But as we know, the Pandems haven't decided whether they will take part in, an, in the extended LegCo term. If they do decide to stay away, in your view, would that be a mistake? Well, I think it would be very unfortunate. I think, uh, I think legislators uh, were elected to uh, contribute to the affairs of Hong Kong. Uh, they have a role to play, both under the Constitution and in relation to social requirements. Uh, so uh, it would be a very sad day if uh, any of them were to decide to leave halfway uh, and uh, refuse to serve a, you know, a further year uh, in relation to matters relating to Hong Kong. What, impa what impact do you think it will have on uh, LegCo if they do decide to stay away? Well, uh, then it, it would mean that uh, the uh, check and balance function of the legislature uh, will not be complete. Uh, there will be a, a lack of opposition voices, which are important to a pluralistic pro society like Hong Kong. Uh, furthermore, they might be uh, regarded as having resigned during the term, 
and therefore lose the, the various uh, you know, benefits arising from uh, a legislator after a full term. Uh, for example, like uh, things like pension and uh, severance pay and so on. Um, it, it could be a very costly uh, decision. A concern group says it's hopeful that long-awaited protections for those living in subdivided housing are just around the corner, with a report by a government-appointed task force expected to be released before the middle of next year. Richard Pine reports. The task force for the study on tenancy control of subdivided units was formed by the administration earlier this year as part of efforts to boost support to the city's grassroots and underprivileged population. LegCo research suggests there are as many as 90,000 households living in cramped, poorly maintained quarters around the city. The task force has been visiting these partitioned flats, meeting tenants and listening to concern groups like the Society for Community Organization. Silai San, a community organizer with SOCO, says they relayed some of the long-standing problems to the task force. The tenants actually did know any bargaining power because there's no law to balance. So this is of imbalance for over 20 years and many people they suffer. And so we highly recommend the task force, they should consider as international city, we should have a balanced law and the tenancy should be have legal protection for them. Ms. Z says she's hopeful of finally seeing progress on this issue. I think they have a basic understanding about how people are suffering. And they also recognize they know the situation is not good and they should do something for the poor and for the tenants. The task force's chairman, William Lung, says the issues raised by the concerned groups tallied with what they had witnessed firsthand. But on the specific issue of tenants being unreasonably charged for utilities, Dr Lung says for now it's up to tenants themselves to make complaints. The people affected will have to stand up and make the complaint. And if the electricity company or the water authority, when they receive the complaint, I think they will do the proper things. Dr Leung says it would be premature to discuss proposed solutions to these problems. After meeting all the concerned groups, we will, of course, analyse their comments, evaluate their suggestions. I don't rule out that some of them will go into the report that we are preparing. Dr Leung says the task force is on course to deliver its report to the government in the first half of next year. Macau has taken its first steps on the road to recovery by starting to issue tourist visas again. Macau authorities say they will slowly start handing out tourist visas from today to bring gamblers back. Visas for both individuals and group tours from the mainland will be restored in phases, though entry from Hong Kong will be more complicated. Authorities haven't said when visas will be made available to tourists wanting to travel to Macau from outside China. Anna-Marie Evans asked Jiao Pinto from Macau broadcaster TDM what the visa relaxation will mean for the city. Well, it means much-needed tourists because basically the only industry available in Macau is the tourism industry, is the gaming industry. And without tourists, basically government revenue is close to zero and employment in many, many companies has become quite difficult to maintain. So tourists is the lifeline, the blood of this, uh, this economy. Now, how are they going to set about issuing the visas so that you don't have a sudden surge of people coming into Macau? As far as we know, uh, there's basically still no details on how, how, how the process is going to go and how the flow will be resumed. So what we know is that starting from today, 
residents of the neighboring region, Zhuhai, uh, will be uh, allowed to start uh, applying for visas. Usually the process of uh, actually getting the visa to cross the border takes a few days, so it's not expected they will pour in this evening, so to say. Later this month, it will be all of Guangdong province, and uh, by the end of September, uh, September 23, it will be at the national level. So most probably by October's Golden Week, Probably Macau, it seems the right. Macau will probably have a steady flow of tourists crossing the border. Although most local observers believe it's not going to be like in previous years. So there will be a flow of tourists, but it will be at lower, much lower numbers than it has been in the previous years. And what about from Hong Kong? Well, from Hong Kong, there's still a very complex situation in terms of uh, the local transmission uh, of uh, the coronavirus. So uh, for uh, Hong Kong residents, a negative test is required and also a mandatory 14-day quarantine in a local hotel is also required. So I don't think Macau will open itself to, to Hong Kong so soon because of the, the current situation in terms of the transmission of the virus. Now, Macau has done astoundingly well in terms of controlling the virus. You've had uh, just 46 cases and no deaths. What do you put that down to? I think a strong, a very strong message from the government that everybody would have to be together, all the population would have to be together in this. Uh, Closing the borders in such a way that it made it almost impossible for people to come into Macau, except, of course, uh, local residents and Chinese nationals. Mandating quarantines, which is not a home quarantine. Quarantine has, since almost the very beginning, has been done in hotels, so uh, under close surveillance. So, and uh, testing everybody that came into Macau. Only in the first wave, people were, basically, they went to the hospital when they felt sick. After the first wave, in the, what we have like a second wave, because we only had two waves of the, the infection. In the second wave, everybody was detected through testing at the border or during the quarantine, which made it possible to prevent any local transmission chain. So there was never a situation in which a Macau resident would uh, infect another Macau resident or someone walking about Macau would infect someone else in, in Macau. And that was the key point. Former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden has chosen Senator Kamala Harris of California to join him as his running mate in his fight to defeat President Trump in November's election. In doing so, he fulfilled his pledge to select a female and made the 55-year-old African-American and Asian-American the first black woman ever to appear on a major party ticket. The BBC's Sophie Long reports. Breaking news, Joe Biden has decided on a running mate. This was a much-discussed potential partnership, but while some would say predictable, it is also historic. The daughter of an Indian mother and a Jamaican father, the 55-year-old senator was the first woman of colour to be the Attorney General of California. If Joe Biden is elected, Kamala Harris will be the first woman of colour to become Vice President of the United States of America. She's already been battle-tested during her own ultimately short-lived presidential campaign.
It began in front of a crowd of thousands full of promise. And on day one, I will repeal that tax bill that benefits the top 1% and the biggest corporations of America. But the most memorable moment was her visceral attack on his record on mandatory busing to desegregate schools. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racist. That is not true. She briefly surged, he briefly sank, which led some close to Joe Biden to question whether she could be a trusted running mate. <laughs> it was a debate. Her response? Literally, it was a debate. It was called a debate where there would be a debate of differences of opinion and issues. One man on his VP vetting committee expressed concern at her lack of remorse and reportedly said she was too ambitious. She felt that was to focus on what has been and not what could be. Joe Biden said he doesn't bear grudges and his VP pick would appear to confirm that. I believe in Joe. I really believe in him and I have known him for a long time. His choice, he said, would be about personal connection. In his announcement, he noted Kamala Harris had been close to his late son, Beau. What's up, New Hampshire Democrats? During her own presidential campaign, which failed before voting began, she struggled to respond to criticism from progressives for shying away from fights on police reform. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. But she was one of the first lawmakers to join recent protests against police brutality, appearing in front of the White House. And I'm going to tell you somebody else who has defrauded the American people. Donald Trump. What the former prosecutor has always been comfortable with is making the case against President Trump, who swiftly responded to the announcement by calling her a phony who's abandoned her morals to appease anti-police extremists and the radical left. Biden calls himself a transition candidate. His campaign team released this ad within minutes of her selection being made public. Slow Joe and phony Kamala. Perfect together. Wrong for America. Many feel she will strengthen what some see as the demographic weakness of a white septuagenarian male trying to lead a party and a nation increasingly focused on younger voters and voters of colour. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion and I'm usually quite laid back, but you can count me in to fight COVID-19. Here are my tips. Don't go to work and seek medical advice promptly if you're unwell. Avoid eating out or going out if it's not necessary. Keep at least one meter apart from others and avoid contact with people who show symptoms. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for us to prevent COVID-19. Radio 3 Weather. A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly cloudy with occasional showers. A few squally thunderstorms at first. Temperatures will range between 27 and 31 degrees. And the winds we can expect will be moderate south to southeasterlies. The outlook? Sunny periods and a few showers in the following few days. Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is low, which means the air quality is good. The readings are 1 and 2. At the observatory, the air temperature is 28 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 85%. Radio 3.
Live on the web, rthk.org.hk. Back to the music now. Simon Wilson sitting in for the world's most durable DJ, Uncle Ray, who's sheltering in place during the COVID spike, playing assorted ballads and easy listening through till one. Get your requests in now. Two double three double eight two six six is the number. was just like the biggest thing track after track the whole year was just filled with hits from them you make loving fun you're tuned to rthk radio 3 simon wilson with you this uh, wednesday night thursday morning playing assorted ballads and easy listening through till one get your requests in now two double three double eight two six six Same old song I know every crack 